As illustrated by millions of life experiences, dedication to or even belief in God exempts no one from the challenges of mortality. So it was with Nephi and his family as they confronted a host of challenges in the early years after their departure from Jerusalem. Doubt, infighting, jealousy, wickedness, and even death all rise to the surface as this small group traverses uncharted territory. Yet God does not abandon His people, nor does He lead them through obstacles without redemption. Often the smallest and simplest means have the greatest and deepest impact. I invite you to join us in our study of 1 Nephi chapters 16 through 22 of the Book of Mormon and encourage each of us to seek divine inspiration. Welcome to Come Follow Up. One challenge that I've been faced with is childhood trauma, which changed the way that I view myself and others. Just recently, I've incurred a brain injury last year, and it's caused a lot of confusion and memory loss. I think one of the biggest challenges for me was when we learned that our daughter had the diagnosis of Down syndrome. We weren't expecting it. She was born in our home. It was a lovely birth, and we found out later, and I kind of wanted to avoid finding out the information. And so before we went into the geneticist, I just got down on my knees and I prayed to the Lord. I said, if this is what's happening, then I need to be more than who I am. With God's help, I've come to uh, learn how to love myself and love others more fully and have compassion for other people who have faced similar challenges. I realized I was being guided to function in life even when I couldn't use my brain very well. I knew that this was his child and he was going to be with me. And the challenge has made me stronger and it's been such a joy. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> Welcome everybody to our discussion on 1 Nephi chapters 16 through 22. My name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar today is Melissa Inouye. Melissa is a historian with the Church History Department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome, Melissa. Hello. Great to be here. And next to Melissa are our special guests, Eric and Emily Orton. Eric is an Emmy Award-winning writer and theater producer, including co-writing Savior of the World. Emily writes and speaks about living with purpose at Time Out for Women and BYU Women's Conference. Eric and Emily are the parents of five children, and they teach and coach other parents how to raise resilient children. Welcome, Ortens. Thank you. Hello. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here with us today. Our discussions today are built around the scriptures and complemented by the resource Come Follow Me. Additional study and teaching material is available at byutv.org slash comefollowup. Okay, Melissa, as we jump into these chapters, what sort of context can you provide for us to help us understand what we're going to be talking about today? Well, I would say this section is like basically every story um, from the beginning of the Book of Mormon that a sunbeam can draw a picture of, right? <laughs> there's like the bow, there's like the boat, there's, you know, these very memorable stories. And then there's a lot of family drama, um, these kind of tensions going back and forth. And I'm sure we can all relate to how hard it is to go through a physically hard challenge and then an emotionally hard challenge at the same time. Okay, so you, you talked about uh, challenges. Our first topic is the Savior will help me face life's challenges. What specific challenges are we gonna be looking at within these chapters? 
So we have so many things. They're refugees, I guess we could say. They're, they fled their homeland. They've left all of their stuff behind. An emotional challenge. Uh, Nephi's bow breaks. They have to build a boat. They're in the wilderness. They think they're going to die. So I assume at a certain point, you know, at many points, things weren't going well. And it says, my parents being stricken in years and having suffered much grief because of their children, they were brought down. So it's just a really hard time. At the same time, there are these incredible miracles. Nephi learning through Revelation how to build a boat. The brass ball mm-hmm. or the compass appears. It's actually not named as the Liahona in these chapters. It's only lam- named as the Liahona in Alma. So they just call it a ball or a compass. That's pretty cool. It's a really dramatic time, and there are these really fun, colorful stories uh, that we can kind of connect to metaphorically or actually, mm-hmm. or, you know, there's, there's so many different things going on. A lot of different family dynamics here. Uh, Eric and Emily, in what ways can you relate to some of these, these things that are happening within these chapters? Well, one of the things that I always think as I read the scriptures is that having a family is a big adventure. Um, It's a high-stakes situation where you don't know how it's necessarily going to turn out, and emotions can can run pretty high. So regardless of the situation you're in, just being in relationship with other people can be a big adventure. For us, I think we can relate on a really visceral level because we did live on a boat for a year with our kids, so we know what it's like to be going along in a calm for days and close quarters, no privacy. You see what's really going on in your heart when you are sharing, mm-hmm. you know, close walls <laughs> those people. And I also just think having lived on a boat and knowing what a rudder does, what a sail does, what your navigation system means to you, when I read these chapters, it just feels so, so real and worth exploring. So, Emily, you speak about teaching resilience among kids. Yeah. Uh, What are some things that we can learn from uh, the family dynamics that we see and and how resilient they were at times? And what are some of the lessons we can learn from that? Well, some of the things that I see, especially from the get-go with them having different opinions about how to go about handling a situation. For example, nobody's real keen on leaving to go into the wilderness, Mm -hmm. right? But the sad news about being resilient is that you have to go through hard things to develop resilience. And what I see from this is that when you go through a hard thing and then only complain, it makes your heart hard. But when you go through a hard thing and you say, God brought us this miracle in the hard thing, that allows you to bring in some hope. And that's where the resilience (laughs) comes to play. I would love to hear from the audience. How has the Lord helped you through a seemingly impossible challenge? Jacob. I had this great job, but my wife suggested that I should strike out on my own. And when I prayed, I felt good about it, but then things didn't seem to go so well. So I wanted to back down. My wife said, don't you remember that feeling when you prayed? So I prayed with all my heart and it all worked out. We were able to buy a house near a temple and go to Taiwan for five years and serve people there and be there with my mother-in-law before she passed away. So revelation and being willing to take the chance to follow the Lord guided us. You know, it's a great example of how through that guidance, we can make it through life challenges as we see with Lehi and his family. They went through a lot of things. Is there a specific moment you can recall throughout uh, any part of your journey so far where you can specifically recognize God's hand helping you along the way? Yeah, so we were doing our first crossing on the boat 
from one island to the other and we chose to do it overnight. It was our first time sailing overnight with our kids. I was on the watch with our daughter, Allison, and a storm came up. It was our first time being hit by a storm. And the night prior, I had decided that there's like the boom, the big metal part of the bottom of the sail. I put a line that kind of attaches it to one side so it can't possibly swing over. And in the course of the evening, the wind came up, went up to um, tropical storm speeds of 45 miles an hour. Wow. And we got into a real bad situation real fast. But that preventer, which was just an idea, you get a little thought and it feels right. And I tied this line and it prevented us from a world of hurt. That's why it's called a preventer. <laughs> and we made it through the storm. And the next day we checked in with our friends back where we'd started. And they said another boat coming the same direction through the same storm had had their mast ripped off because they didn't have a preventer and they were in the same circumstances. And so um, these little things, these little ideas can have big impacts mm -hmm. for our well-being. Absolutely, that's great. And this is the story of my life. An unexpected storm arises and I need those little ideas to kind of help me through it. One example I feel is uh, really similar to what Lehi's family was going through. And um, you know, Eric works in theater and that's a kind of business where you're in and out of gigs, right? If your mm -hmm. show closes, now you're looking for a new job. And we were in that situation where the show had closed and we were looking for a new job. And at this point, I was having to turn to the food storage in our little cupboards in our little apartment. And we had the weirdest collection of food storage. And I wasn't sure what it all to make. We didn't have Pinterest. That wasn't happening yet. <laughs> and I just walked in the kitchen and prayed. Like, help me to know what I can even combine from what's here to make something that my small children will eat. And I had some idea. I can't remember what the idea is because what stood out to me so much was that my children not only ate that food, they really loved it. You know, I was like, I don't know what just happened here, but that was not, the <laughs> not raw, me. Their raw so, meat was made yeah. sweet. You know, our <laughs> storm was not a natural disaster. It was an, an unemployment situation. Um, but other things I think about, like when our fifth child was born, we didn't know right away, um, but within a few months, it became clear that she had Down syndrome and we didn't know anything about it or how to handle it. And that's just been a constant journey of coming to the Lord and saying, what next, what next? And I love how in these scriptures, as Nephi's building his boat, it says he goes oft. I like that he doesn't say mm -hmm. exactly with precision what the frequency was, we can determine for ourselves, but he just goes off. And as he goes regularly, and that's a habit for him to return to converse with the Lord, it says the Lord shows him great things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that um, has been happening in our family as well. I love it. That's awesome. We should read that scripture that you yeah. mentioned because it's so awesome. It's um, you, chapter it? 18, verse 3. It says, And I, Nephi, did go into the mount oft, and I did pray oft unto the Lord, Wherefore the Lord showed unto me great things. You know, I love how Nephi goes into this away from society. I think in, in those like natural systems, then you feel a little smaller and you and your problems also feel a little smaller. Yeah, that's really the truth. That's been my experience. There's a question that came in from one of our viewers about receiving revelation in different ways and, and what that looks like within a family dynamic. Hi, my name is Jill. And we read in 1 Nephi chapter 16 about Lehi being guided by the Liahona. And I have often felt very guided in my life. And, but I do have a question. My husband and I pray for guidance 
But what happens if we get a different answer? What do I do? How do we see that in here, Melissa? What can you teach us? Well, there's something in this section. Uh, it's chapter 17, verse 19 through 22. And I'll just kind of paraphrase bits of it. So Laman and Lemuel say at the end of 21, Behold, these many years we have suffered in the wilderness, which time we might have enjoyed our possessions in the land of our inheritance, yea, and we might have been happy. And we know that the people who were in the land of Jerusalem were a righteous people, for they kept the statutes and judgments of the Lord and all his commandments according to the law of Moses. Wherefore, we know that they are a righteous people, and our Father hath judged them and hath led us away because we would hearken unto his words. So here we have a conflict between the way that Laman and Lemuel had been raised all the way up to the point where Lehi has his vision and kind of enacts this radical break from the, the religion, the traditions, the temple rites, everything. That would be really hard. Their whole kind of religious structure, their whole upbringing, everything they've been taught was right, had been back in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. and, and Lehi's kind of break was this new paradigm. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it leads towards Christ, which is a totally new um, religious orientation as well. So, um, so I, I, you can see how even within a family, when people share the same values and the same kind of religious background, you know, it's sometimes we just have these strong disagreements over what's right and what's righteous. And that's really hard. So as a, as a married couple, did you ever run into those issues or concerns, especially when you're traveling on a boat for almost a year? We've always agreed on everything. Everything. So, that's not true. You know. well, well said. I love that response. I'm going to write that down. No, that, that, is, that is not true, um, for sure. She, she's right. And just as a metaphor, like, even when it came to the idea of living on a boat, I know that feels extreme, but let's just use it as a metaphor for mm -hmm. whatever your thing is that, okay. that you're doing differently, right? The idea came to him first and he needed it most. And then he kind of shared it with us. And I was very scared because I wouldn't even go in the deep end of the swimming pool. So it was pretty ridiculous to imagine me taking a family with six to 16 year old children on a boat for a year. But what we did is, out of love for him, I said, we'll sign up and take the classes with you. We eventually became united. And that mostly had to do with me overcoming fears. But I don't think that's always how it's going to mm -hmm. turn out. Because sometimes you are getting different answers from each other. But for me, I want to um, be respectful of his agency and his personal connection with the Lord and also honor my own. And we just kind of will try to work together and see how much we can support each other until it and then not, we don't make a move without the sort of agreement of the other party. But if there's an impasse, we don't move forward until we're united. Can I jump in on that? Absolutely. I know that the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the First Presidency, they move forward when they have unanimity. Mm -hmm. And so that can take a long time and that can require patience on both sides. One saying, hey, you know, I'm right. And the other pen other people saying, or the other person saying, hey, I'm right. And saying, well, we're gonna, it's gonna take us a while till we come to some some unity, some yeah. harmony, and can we wait for that? And I actually think that these chapters are such great examples of this because they're all living through the same circumstances and they're all interpreting them very differently. Right. Laman, Lemuel, Nephi, Lehi, everybody is interpreting the storms differently. They're interpreting the commandments to build a ship or they're interpreting you know, the breaking of the bow. These are all setbacks that are and you know, we can all extrapolate them as metaphors for our lives. Like as a husband and wife, we can be looking at the same situation and, and interpreting it very differently. And I think if we'll go to the Lord patiently, oft, as mm -hmm. it says, 
eventually he'll bring us together, but, but it does take some, some time. And until there's unity, hang on, hang on. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation on how the Savior helps us face life's challenges. And for the audience, thank you as well for sharing your experiences. And for those at home, how has the Lord helped you through your adversity? Share with us on any of our social media platforms. I noticed God's presence in my life through the little things. I remember this one opportunity I had. I was hiking down a canyon with a friend of mine, and, and he didn't believe in God. And I just kept looking all around at everything around me, which was just a testament to me that there is a Creator and that God exists. Often God shows me that He's present by giving me peace. And maybe for a lot of people that just seems like a silly thing, but I have anxiety and so I feel nervous almost all the time. And you know, even if it's you know small and simple for somebody else, that peace means a lot to me and it lets me know that God's there. I keep myself prepared to notice small and simple things in my life by writing honestly in my journal every day. And I feel God's love for me as I do that. I choose to look for and notice the small, simple things that God has show up in my life. I find those to be opportunities for me to learn, for me to grow, and opportunities to experience life to the fullest. So the second topic we're gonna to be looking at is God guides me through small and simple means. Uh, Melissa, where do we see this topic within these chapters? Everywhere, basically. <laughs> um, there we, we see some dramatic things that are not that small and simple, like a really cool ball appearing outside your tent with pointers that tell you where to go. But Nephi talks about how we did take our journey in the wilderness and we did travel nearly eastward from that time forth. And we did travel and wade through much affliction in the wilderness. I'm hearing a little subtext, like a lot of stuff was going on. And our women did bear children in the wilderness. Again, bearing children is like a big deal. Um, it's really hard. And it kind of complicates life three-dimensionally, right? Like mm. in all these different ways, things become more complicated. Verse 2, And so great were the blessings of the Lord upon us, that while we did live upon raw meat in the wilderness, our women give plenty of suck for their children and were strong, yea, even like unto the men. And they began to bear their journeys without murmurings. So kind of reading into the text, a lot of things were going on. And I think in, in this, we can see they overcame a lot of tricky things. The mothers figured stuff out for their kids. And they figured out how to kind of move together in unity. They kind of gelled, maybe. So one of the specific things that uh, is mentioned within these chapters is the Liahona, which we don't find out the name of it until later. If we look at chapter 16, verse 10, mm. and it came to pass that as my father rose in the morning, he went forth to the tent door. To his great astonishment, he beheld upon the ground a round ball of curious workmanship. And it was a fine brass, and within the ball were two spindles, and the one pointed the way whither we should go into the wilderness. I'm sure at this point we can kind of see how we can relate, how we can look at the Liahona, what it represents. For them, it was a physical representation, but what about for us? How do we allow the Lord to guide us through our faith and through our diligence? How have the both of you seen that, uh, that you were guided? through your faithfulness and your diligence? Oh man, uh, um, I don't know that I have an answer to your question just yet, but I'm, I keep thinking about this Liahona. I was trying to find the verse in here because it's, at one point it describes it not as small and simple, just small. <laughs> and so, so Melissa, maybe you can help us find that verse. But, oh man, I'll start looking. But I don't know that the Liahona was simple. Mm -hmm. Just like a tablet 
isn't like it's simple to use, right. but it's very complex. Absolutely. And so I think that a lot of times things might present to us like God will give us a tool that that is simple for us to use and it can be very effective. Like prayer is is just being able to pray. I don't understand the technology of prayer. But it's but it works. It's yeah. effective. And the way the fact that I can communicate with the smartest person in the universe and receive information in my mind and guide my life according to that is pretty astounding to me. And I don't know the physics of it, but it works. We navigated 2,500 miles with one of these. It's complex. Like mm-hmm. I don't understand the satellite connections and all that, but I could just set it up in front of me, tap where I wanted to go and a line appeared and, then, and we would just go in that direction. And, and I would trust it just trusted it. Actually, one of the things that was interesting though is I think like the Liahona in the scriptures, I didn't know this when we first got on the boat, but we would plug it into one of those little like 12 volt cigarette lighter type things to charge it. And this the, this drew down more power than, than would come out of that cord, <laughs> which is bad news yeah. because you can only go so far before your navigation device becomes dead. And, and so we had to get, I had to learn about how to keep it charged so that it could keep serving us. And I think that's very much like the Liahona. It's almost like if you think about the Liahona having a, a battery, and if we didn't charge it with righteousness, it would just fade. And so I found that I need to invest in the, the things that guide me. I need to invest my faith, my trust, my belief, and that that helps nourish it and nurture it and keeps it going so that it can keep serving me. Oh, that's a great answer. I yeah. love it. Melissa. Well, I was just thinking about chapter 16, verse 28. It came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the pointers which were in the ball, that they did work according to the faith and diligence and heed which we did give unto them. And there was also written upon them a new writing, which was plain to be read, which did give us understanding concerning the ways of the Lord. And it was written and changed from time to time. So it like refreshed. It's like a screensaver Mm. that changes the (laughs) message every once in a while. But here, I think the technology metaphor breaks down just a little bit when it comes to our own lives. Because like I've had these extremely frustrating times where I'm like, I'm like praying, I'm like going to the temple. It's like I'm trying to like guess God's Wi-Fi password and I haven't capitalized the letter and God's not gonna let me, you know, have it (laughs) until I capitalize that one letter. But like, that's not how God works. Mm -hmm. You know, God is like a loving parent who will give us what we need not just like what we think we can ask for. It's like mm-hmm. a, it's a combination of things. And we see it in the scriptures all the time, right? Sometimes people aren't asking. No one was asking for a ball, like a compass. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And it like, like something showed up on the doorstep. So often like when the parenting's not working, we feel like mm-hmm. total failures. We're like, oh, then I have no faith, no diligence, no heed. I'm sorry, it's very personal for me right now. And we think, you know, I've like failed, you know, I failed God, I failed my kid. But um, but I think there's other things in this story that like show us that sometimes God just gives us what we need and we mm-hmm. don't have to qualify for it. And mm-hmm. we don't have to like be awesome enough because like we usually don't feel awesome enough. You yeah. know, I always tell my children like that we seek mercy because mm-hmm. if we were getting what we deserved, we would not be happy <laughs> with what we were getting. But our Savior is so merciful that, like you said, He gives yeah. us what we need, and we don't always have it in the moment. When you're talking about that experience where 
you're doing all of the things and things are still hard. We see that in this story, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, it's like Nephi is saying like, he blessed us so much that we didn't die, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, yeah, That we did not perish. I'm that's like, that's a pretty low bar, right? Mm-hmm. But they do right. need to survive to make this happen. And so I love that there are those examples and it just makes me think of two things. One, Lehi's dream. He goes in the darkness for a long time and sometimes that's how it is in our lives. And we learn a lot about ourselves in that dark walk. And then I I was thinking about when our youngest, Lily, who I mentioned has Down syndrome, was learning how to swim. And at first, we could only get inches away from her. And as she became more and more competent of handling herself in the deep waters, we would move farther and farther away. And it was out of love for Mm -hmm. her to increase her stamina and see what she was capable of, but we were always there. And that is not always a comfort (laughs) when you are in the deep waters, but having that image sometimes helps me when I'm not getting the answer, when there Mm -hmm. isn't a new writing on the liahona and the spirit isn't like, tell you what, you should do this. You know, it's, it's like, I guess I'll just continue on in what I know until something changes. How has the Lord guided you through small and simple means? Melissa. Once in high school, I was standing in the halls with friends, and a boy came up really close behind me. I didn't know he was there. And he whispered into my ear, you are a loser. And just the way that he said it, and me not knowing he was there, it just sort of like penetrated me in a really weird way. And I was surprised how quickly, just instinctually, I knew he was wrong. And my soul just said, no, you are a daughter of God. I feel like that is something that in a small way all through my life, I have felt him saying to me, you're valuable to me, you matter to me, you have potential. And that helps me with every decision, and every hard thing I go through, just that steady feeling that I matter to him. And that's who I am, I'm his. How do you feel like the Holy Ghost continues to remind you of who you are? I feel partially that I I feel that in my everyday life, but also in seeing other people and learning to value them. Um, I think in my interactions with people, the older I get, the more I appreciate their value and how incredibly beautiful they are to God and how much they matter to Him. And seeing that in others helps me to remember Mm -hmm. that that that's true of all of us, that we're all his children. I feel like there are so many of those things the Lord gives us, our own personal liahonas that lead the way and guide us. I would love to hear, what's a personal liahona for you throughout your life? Well, I feel like I maybe need to repent because earlier I was saying like, oh, I wish I had a little, you know, ball that would tell me exactly. And as we're talking, there are actually so many. One of the things that I think of is certainly my scriptures. The doctrine of Christ helps me to say like, oh, I'm not going to get stirred up to anger, or if I do, I know I'm wrong. Like there are these little keys that really are, don't go this way, go that way. Like, oh, I have contention. Jesus said that's not of him. So those kind of things help me. My patriarchal blessing is one that helps me. And um, in recent years, as we've just been so lucky to be able to live close enough to a temple that oft for me meant even more often than ever before, I realized that as I went regularly, I created this margin in my life, like a separation between me and the world, like this bigger and bigger space where I wasn't distracted by all the things of the world pulling on me. And so I had more room for peace 
and then I had more opportunities to feel the Spirit. So I know that the role of the Spirit is to testify of truth, and so the more I can be in places where I'm hearing truth, then the more I get to hear from the Spirit. That's great. I love it. The Book of Mormon has always been a guide for me, but it's only when I give faith and diligence to it. If I leave it sitting down and, and if I stop studying it, it does nothing to guide my life. Mm. Um, but much like the Liahona, it's been that guide for me. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I'm really looking forward to footnotes because there's so much that we can jump back into and discuss a little further. But thank you all so much for helping us with this discussion about how God does guide us through small and simple means. And for the audience, you've been so wonderful. Thanks for joining us today and sharing your experiences with us as well. And for you at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes. Stay with us. Something that I do to make my home study effective is I try to make sure I start with a prayer. I'll let myself open the scriptures and um, listen and feel for where I should read and what I should pay attention to. And a lot of times, messages will show up. Sometimes I'll get ideas even while I'm reading the scriptures, like a pop-up screen on a computer. One thought turns into a train of thought, and he blesses me to learn and to know things that I didn't already know. I think about what were they feeling? What were they really thinking in this situation? Because sometimes we don't really read much about it. We only get a few words about a really important situation. Even if it's just 20 seconds, if I learn something and I'm able to implement that in my life, that's more effective than a five-minute long scripture study where I, I was just checking off the box. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from 1 Nephi chapters 16 through 22 with Eric, Emily, and Melissa. Okay, there is so much I'm excited to look at within these chapters. Uh, one of the first things, Melissa, I was hoping you can share with us is uh, chapter 19. Mm -hmm. We There are mentioned some prophets. Mm -hmm. um, what can you tell us about these okay. prophets? So um, there's this whole section between about verse 8 to 17 when uh, Nephi is talking about prophecies of Jesus Christ from prophets named Zenoch, Nahum, and Zenos. In verse 10, And the God of our fathers who were led out of Egypt out of bondage and also were preserved in the wilderness by him, yieldeth himself according to the words of the angel as a man into the hands of the wicked men to be lifted up according to the words of Zenoch. So here is a Christ-oriented prophecy. Uh, by the prophet Zenoch, and to be crucified according to the words of Nahum, and to be buried in a sepulcher according to the words of Zenos. And so he's quoting from these prophets that, that we don't see in the Hebrew Bible. This seems to be the message of the Book of Mormon, right? Mm -hmm. Is that God talks to lots of people. And just because God talked to your people does not mean that you are the only people to whom God has spoken. Mm -hmm. And um, this message is in the plates over and over again. You know, um, God is God's um, love is to all, to all the nations, to all the people on the isles of the sea, to um, you know, all are alike unto God, and and God gives um, their word freely to everyone. And so I, I just love like seeing like oh more prophets. And um, I remember in like in the Bible as well, the Hebrew Bible that you talk there's like many prophets who are unnamed. There are prophetesses, some who are named, some who are unnamed, like Deborah and Miriam, and it just. 
you just think it's so expansive. That's that's exactly what the Book of Mormon is saying, and it's saying not only to people on in this place, mm-hmm. but people everywhere who we might not even have heard of. Um, just we have no idea mm-hmm. because everyone is God's child, and everyone has been redeemed by Christ. Well, I think for me, it also shows how well. Nephi knows the scriptures, not just the ones that we have, but other ones that we don't have access to. And then Emily and I were talking about how at the end, it kind of, it settles into this kind of like story time with Nephi. This is verse 22. And now it came to pass that I, Nephi, did teach my brethren these things, and it came to pass I did read many things unto them which were engraven upon the plates of brass. And then, and I did read many things unto them which were written in the books of Moses. And then the next few chapters, he's including Isaiah, but I think he's reading it to them as well. And so there's sort of this sense of kind of communal scripture study. And I can imagine that they also had other books of scriptures that we don't have right now, or these other prophets that were mentioned. And just that there's this sort of expansive revelation that continues beyond the edges of the picture frame that we have, that the picture keeps going and we're going to study the picture that we have and learn from it, but that there's so much that God has given to all of his children, as you pointed out, Melissa, everywhere, all the nations. Mm-hmm. Well, and he says in verse 22 that they might know concerning the doings of the Lord in other lands among people of old. We hear before in the scriptures, Laman and Lemuel saying, God's not going to make these things known to us. And Nephi's sort of begging to differ. And he's like, let me open the scriptures to you and see all the things that God has made known, not just to us, but to all these other prophets. And as much as we have this expansive vision, I think it's so interesting that we read where Nephi says like, oh, we had so many afflictions that I can't even write them all. But then here in verse nine, as he's sharing some of the prophecies that Christ is gonna come and he says, wherefore, they scourge him, and he suffereth. They smite him, and he suffereth it. Yea, they spit upon him, and he suffereth it, because of his loving kindness and his long suffering towards the children of men. So there are so many details that are being left out as he's trying to bring in. This is for everyone. This is for everyone. And as he's closing in on what it is the Savior has done for us, he slows way down and is giving us every little detail. You can see there's a, the initial broad view. All nations. But then there's those moments where it's every person, every group mm-hmm. of people, you know, in 2 Nephi chapter, jumping ahead a little bit, uh, chapter 26, verse 33, you, you get this idea of who's included in that. For none of these iniquities come of the Lord, for he doeth that which is good among the children of men, and he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men. And he inviteth all to come unto him, and he gets a little more specific, and to partake of his goodness, he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen, mm-hmm. and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. Just this idea of, yeah, there's a broad picture, and it's easy to think, yeah, of course he, he's going to appear to all nations, but he's going to have those individual moments with, with his children, uh, all his children, no matter who they are. I just think that's so beautiful. I'm so grateful to you for quoting that scripture because it's one of my favorite scriptures. And there's a kind of uh, similar verse in uh, 1 Nephi chapter 19, verse 16. It says, He will remember the isles of the sea, yea, and all the people who are of the house of Israel will I gather in, saith the Lord, according to the words of the prophet Zenos from the four quarters of the earth, yea, and all the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord, saith the prophet. Every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people shall be blessed. So there's both identifying a certain group of people, 
but then expanding again. All the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord. Every nation, kindred, tongue, and people shall be blessed. One of my favorite things about living in New York City is that eight million of God's children are gathered together in one place. And it feels like a little bit of this vision in a microcosm on a subway car, you know. <laughs> and I just think, I know how personal God is with me. And just to imagine Him caring that much about every little aspect of those people who are sitting across from me on the subway, like it, it really fills me up when I take that perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if we look in, First Nephi chapter 21, verses 14 through 16, it says, But behold, Zion hath said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me, but he will show that he hath not. For can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee, O house of Israel. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. They're certainly referring to the atonement that he offers for us, our Savior offers for us. And I really love this uh, quote by Neil A. Maxwell, who is an apostle. He gave this in October 2003, and he says, God has no distracting hobbies off somewhere in the universe. We are at the very center of his concerns and purposes. And I think how many times I have distracting hobbies off somewhere (laughs) in the universe, and I'm so grateful that he does not, that he sets that example of steadiness Mm -hmm. and focus on building that connection with me and bringing me home to him. And it gives me comfort when I'm facing challenges. It makes me humble when things are actually going really well so I don't forget him. And when I need guidance or when I'm going to try to do those things that to me seem impossible, because for me, they would be impossible. But with him, they are possible. You know, and that kind of brings us back to um, if we look at one of the narratives or one of the experiences that is taking place here is what do you do? How do you respond in when you're facing challenges or adversity and and with Nephi and his brothers with the building of the ship? Are there some other things that we could further explore here with, with those two accounts and how same situation, totally different experiences based off of how they respond to it? I'm going to go back to this thing about constructing a ship. Verse 8, And it came to pass, the Lord spake unto me, saying, Thou shalt construct a ship after the manner which I shall show thee, that I may carry thy people across the waters. To answer your specific question, I think we're going to see Laman and Lemuel's response later on, which is basically kind of, he mo- they mocked Nephi yeah. for his audacity, basically. And Nephi is saying, okay, how much of this can I do on my own and how much do I need to rely on the Lord? And he goes to bedrock and he's like, like, I guess literally, I know how to make tools. I trust that he's going to give me instruction, but where do I get the ore to make the tools? Like that's the part I can't figure out on my own. That would be too hard for me to do. And so I'm going to ask for that. Everything else I can do on my own. Laman and Lemuel are just like, you're crazy. Such a faithful response on the part of Nephi, so unfaithful on the part of Laman and Lemuel. And I know that so many times I fall on the side of Laman and Lemuel. I'm like, right. man, because we like to think that we identify with Nephi, but so often I identify with Laman and Lemuel in my actual response. The beauty of being asked to do impossible things. Nephi is being asked to do something he has no clue what to do. Not only building the boat, but crossing an ocean that they have no idea the size, depth, breadth of it. It's like a complete unknown. They're being asked to do two impossible things, build the boat and then sail across an ocean where they have no information. And Nephi goes to great lengths to talk about 
all the impossible things that God has done. And he kind of schools his brothers in. Moses leading the children of Israel and the parting of the Red Sea and coming into Israel and all these things that just felt completely impractical. And here's what I think is the beauty of being asked to do impossible things, is that I think God does it because it gives him an opportunity to show his power in our lives. Because if it's within our, if it's within our ability to do it, he doesn't get to make an appearance. And he wants to make an appearance. I'll say, for, I'll speak for myself. I think he wants to make an appearance in my life. And if I get an opportunity to do something that feels so far-fetched that the only way that it can come to be, come to pass, is through God's help, then I get to see firsthand God's power in my life. If I keep on doing things that are within my ability, within my skill set, I never get to witness God's miracles in my life. And think about what this is doing for Nephi moving forward. Now he has the experience, he has the evidence of what God can do. When they get to their, their new land, he's gonna be leading a people, he's gonna be writing a record and sharing these experiences that are going to bless generations. And that we're still beneficiaries of yeah. Nephi's faith because we're learning from those things. So it just, it continues on when you have the faith to do something difficult or challenging. And that promise, um, I, I guess that the care that God has for um, the descendants of Laman is expressed not just like in like some, you know, the coming forth of the Book of Mormon is an actual book. It, like it happens, you know, throughout the course of the book mm -hmm. where, you know, people discover the gospel and are converted to the beauty and power of, of Christ's atonement. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's beautiful how that happens throughout the Book of Mormon until the, until the moniker Lamanite becomes kind of meaningless at a certain point because mm -hmm. um, those family distinctions have kind Absolutely. of blurred. So, yeah. so it's cool that it happens within the actual book. What significance do we see in, in chapter 17 as, as Nephi is, is seeking help and guidance? Verse seven, and it came to pass that after I, Nephi, had been in the land of Bountiful for the space of many days, the voice of the Lord came unto me saying, arise and get thee into the mountains. And it came to pass that I arose and went up into the mountain and cried unto the Lord. And then he gets the next step. He gets the instruction. This is what I, this is what I need you to do. I love this phrase, arise and get thee into the mountain. Yeah, it's interesting because it's not like God couldn't talk to him where he was because yeah. he clearly was talking to him. <laughs> but I just find that when we separate ourselves from our normal environment, we find things differently. So, you know, it could be going to the temple, which in the scriptures is um, often identified with the mountains. I think people notice when they travel, they'll, for example, go to church in a different country or they'll go to a religious service in a different religious tradition, and they'll have profound experiences mm -hmm. because there's just something about going into a new environment and a new space that makes us more open and receptive. We're all about that. <laughs> We're all about that. It's really true. And even just hearing it spoken about in a different language, like a different vocabulary will catch your attention and help you think about it from another angle, you know, like a kaleidoscope. And we just keep seeing more and more how beautiful the gospel is. I know recently I was, um, I had a flight delayed and so I was going to be able to attend church after all. And, and we, uh, I got an Uber to this ward and it, uh, this congregation, it was a uh, all Tongans and they were celebrating the one year since the creation of their congregation. And, and they invited us into everything and just hearing them sing. I didn't understand any of the words and some of the music was even new to me. Um, but I could then because I, it wasn't so 
familiar to me. I was able to hear it with new ears, and and I felt like my ears were opened, and I could feel the spirit of their their spiritual unity and their spiritual harmony. It was mm-hmm. just wonderful to just be with them mm-hmm. in a new way, new to me. Speaking of going to a new place, like going to the mountain to receive new information, it reminded me so clearly of an experience that I had in church on Sunday. And speaking of it being a little bit different, you can go to a new place, you can go to the mountain. In this case, Emily was on a road trip with all the kids and I was going to church by myself. Very unusual to be sitting there by myself. And and I just had this experience where I felt, and I've described this multiple times to Emily, it felt like God was not literally, but like taking me his hands on the side of my face and he was giving me some very specific instructions and he wasn't gonna let me get away. Like I had to hear this. And honestly, as much as I hate to say it, I probably couldn't have gotten that message if my whole family was sitting on the the pew next to me, kind of like taking care of the kids, (laughs) just because I was by myself in my regular church, I was able to get new information that deeply impacted my life and our family. And so I think it can be as simple as just going to church by myself or in a totally new place or going to the mountain. All these things are good for us in getting the mind of the Lord into our hearts and in minds. I love that. So we have a couple items on the table, which is fun. Uh, Would you mind sharing with us what you brought today? Well, this was always in my aunt's home when I was growing up and nobody on my dad's side of the family is religious that I know of, but it always made me think of the liahona because it's made of brass. There's nothing inside of this one, but it just reminds me of it. And now it sits on my mantle. Oh, that's very cool. Do you want to tell about the, this one? Sure. Okay. So this is a shell that we brought home from our trip and we found it on the island called Great Inagua. It's the southernmost island in the Bahamas. And we had just finished doing a very long crossing, let's say four days nonstop. Five, I would say five. Five days, okay. (laughs) Arduous, arduous crossing. And we got to this beach and we had the whole place to ourselves, nobody for miles. And there were just these piles and piles of conch shells. And so they would, people that live on the islands, they would dive down, get the conch, and then they actually, they, they pry out, there's an animal that lives inside. They get the animal out and cook it for food, and then they leave the shell. And so there were just tons of these. To us, they were so beautiful that we brought a few home. And for me, it just made me think about like, we read these verses over and over again about them living on a ship, and we hear about the storm and how awful that is and kind of the drama they go through. And then it says in um, 18 verse 21, that, you know, Nephi is loose and I took the compass and it did work whether I desired it. And it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord. And after I had prayed, the winds did cease and the storm did cease and there was a great calm. And if there's two things that you don't want weather-wise on a boat, it's a storm or a calm. Oh, <laughs> like a true. calm probably feels nice but you're after not a, a four or five day For storm. For a sailboat, it's really bad. <laughs> but the one he was referring to, yeah, we were going about one mile per hour. Like oh. we could have walked there faster. Though We needed the wind to be light for our journey, but a calm, you know. I always want to be moving at a nice steady clip. I don't want to just be hanging around. What am I doing? Stagnating. And I don't want to be in a chaotic storm. But I just thought how they literally lived on this boat. Did they fish? Did they wash their clothes? Did they, how did they have fresh water? You know, were they diving for conch? Like, I don't know what they did, but I just wanted to bring this to, to anchor us in the idea, like, that they were literally 
on a boat for we don't know <laughs> how long. And it can be really challenging to um, get along. There's no privacy. It's an arduous way to live. How are you, like I said, how are you doing your laundry? And all, all of those things just become so monumental. So I would be curious to learn more about that at some future date. <laughs> Did you ever, um, there's an account here, you know, with the boat and, you know, with uh, some of the family members, mm. kind of, if you look in chapter 18, verse, verse nine, after they've been driven forth, before the wind for the space of many days, behold, my brethren, the sons of Ishmael, and also their wives began to make themselves merry insomuch that they began to dance and to sing and to speak with much rudeness. Yea, even that they did forget by what power they had been brought thither. Yea, they were lifted up unto exceedingly rudeness. I think in this circumstance, things are going so well, they just kind of forget and lose uh, side of what really mattered most. Were there those moments where, as you were traveling, that got really tough that you had to remind yourself, we know we're on the right course. We know what we're doing is the right thing. Yes. <laughs> Can, I, I just want to echo, to answer your question is a, sort of an expansion echo of what Emily was saying, which is this, that sailing is 80% boredom. <laughs> okay. What is, what, is, what is our adage? It's 15% beautiful and exciting, 5% life-threatening life and 80% boring. Yeah, okay. And they're getting to the part where it's a little boring. Like, this yeah. is, this is the boring great. part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, once you like, your boat is kind of cast off and they've, they've left the beach and they don't know how far or how long they have to go. It's just tedious, boring, it's hot, there's probably very little shade and there's nothing to do. And I just feel like that's the easiest time to fall into this pit of forgetfulness, yeah. just forgetting. We always talk about something being in our wake. It's easy to, for, for those miracles and all those beautiful, powerful, amazing things to just sort of drift away behind you. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have those constant reminders, we just forget and we just fall into different habits, bad habits, bad behavior. And so, I mean, I don't want to be like Laman and Lemuel and their wives in this point, but I can see myself in here. It's At like, least you can understand why they. Yeah, I'm like, you know, let's just like, let's do something. Let's sing. Let's dance. <laughs> let's whatever. You know. And yeah, and you pointed it out there that it's the problem came when they started becoming w with rudeness, whatever Rude. that means. I don't know if it's with crassness or, and then by forgetting the power that that brought them there. And that's always when we yeah. run into trouble mm -hmm. is when we get so distracted that we forget all of the miracles that God brought into our lives. Now they're like, where's all that thought of like, you can't build a boat. You're That's a fool. Right, yeah. You don't know what right. you're doing. Right, like literally now on. they're like, look what we did. That's right. <laughs> we built the ship. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's what they were saying, but it's so easy for me to say like, oh, look what I did. I worked really hard. Mm -hmm. and, and there can be an arrogance to the labor when we, when we feel like, you know, we did that something. we did it, yeah. that I did it, <laughs> you know? Well, going back to this idea of Yea, the Lord also said also that after ye have arrived in the oh, promised yeah. land, ye shall know that I, the Lord, am God, that I, the Lord, did deliver you from destruction, that I did bring you out of the land of Jerusalem. I don't think God's trying to feed his ego here, but I think he's trying to make it clear, I'm doing this mm -hmm. for you, and you are the beneficiaries. And, and I think it's, if we look at it the right way, I think it can be amazing to say, I have a God that loves me this much, that he's going to do these incredible things for me, that, that I have somebody who is on my team that is powerful beyond measure and, and that is making miracles unfold in my life. And I think to, to what you're saying earlier, I think this part where 
they start to break down and they're thinking that they did it, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. But if we can always keep this, uh, you know, Lord doesn't, the Lord doesn't need the fame or the glory or our gratitude, but it sure helps us come from the right place when we remember who did all these amazing things. While mm -hmm. we're talking about the promised land, can we look at chapter 18, verse 22, 23? And I was just struck here because I'm like a words person, mm -hmm. and Nephi says the word promised land three times. Mm. It, so it says, it came to pass that I and Nephi did guide the ship that we sailed again towards the promised land. And it came to pass that after we had sailed for the space of many days, we did arrive at the promised land, and we went forth upon the land and did pitch our tents and we did call it the promised land. And like, Nephi, this is obvious. Hey, like, <laughs> you call it the promised land. One more time. Yeah. But, but as I was kind of fixated on this, like why does he say promised land so many times and we did call it the promised land, why does he even say that? But it makes me think, you know, sometimes we, we get somewhere, you know, after a long journey and we're like, is this the promised land? Have I, have I like gotten somewhere? Like, is this the cool place that I was supposed to get to? Mm. Like, should I be happy or should I be like, oh, no, more stuff is coming. It's still, still going to be hard. Sometimes our calling something the promised land, our saying, or our naming something as a miracle mm. or our recognizing the voice of God is in that sense a kind of a choice. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just mm. to be taken for granted. I'm taking this as a divine direction. I'm taking this friend's visit as a miracle. I'm mm -hmm. taking this place where I am as a place that God promised that I would get to. And I see them putting their trust in it because like in verse 24, he says, you know, they're probably so bored, truly. After that much time at sea, they're probably just itching to really like get to work. Do something. And they begin to till the earth and we begin to plant seeds. Yea, we did put all our seeds into the earth, which we had brought from the land of Jerusalem. And thankfully it came to pass they did grow exceedingly, wherefore we were blessed in abundance. But they put all their seeds. It's like that's a roll of the dice right that there. They, like, that's, right. that's such an it's act just, of faith to not say like, well, well, let's see how the climate is here. Do half and here and we'll make sure the soil works. Yeah, they just like, if this doesn't work, you know, and I don't know what they were thinking, but I love that act of faith. Just the fact mm -hmm. that they brought seeds with them. They were like, we're going to arrive to the other side mm -hmm. of this at some point and there will be land again and we will put these seeds there when we get there. <laughs> You both have such beautiful testimonies and life experiences. Thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us and to share those experiences with us. And Melissa, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much for walking us through and sharing your experiences as well. Thank you for joining us for this discussion from 1 Nephi chapters 16 through 22. Visit byutv.org slash come follow up for more study and teaching resources. And join us next week as we study 2 Nephi chapters 1 and 2 and discuss the fall of man, redemption, and the freedom to choose. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.